Do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Are bestsellers all they're hyped up to be? The Terrible Book Club explores whether or not you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. If you've ever seen a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Hello and welcome to episode 128 of the Terrible Book Club. I'm Chris and this is Paris. Hello. This time we read Emblem, Unity by Solomon Glaucos, also known as Simon Hagen. Paris found this in a little free library in Minnesota while she was on a walk one day. It caught her eye because it looked self-published and was pristine. Usually pristine books in little free libraries are put there by their authors as a marketing tactic. And we wanted to say this is definitely one of those cases. <laughs> I mean, like. well, most, most likely, yeah. Um, it was self-published via a print-on-demand service in 2020. Uh, Paris opened it to a random page, and it was a conversation between what felt like a teenager and a magical animal familiar. So that's enough to get onto TBC, I think. Yeah, it just, you know, it, yeah, it, it checked some boxes, and I don't think we've done anything quite like this in a bit. Um, yeah, we haven't done Pokemon fanfiction before. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, you're just going to come right out. Yeah, that's it. Episode over. Like, Happy New Year. You heard what it is. Have a good day. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically, yeah, it's basically that. Uh, so anyway, uh, if this is your first time listening to the Terrible Book Club, welcome. Happy New Year. Uh, what we do here at the Terrible Book Club is we read books that we assume are going to be bad, and we base this on their cover, title, summary, or some combination of the three. Sometimes we also read books that our patrons, listeners, or friends recommend. Uh, So in general, we do the opposite of what most people do when they're in a bookstore or browsing the internet looking for something to read. Um, Instead of looking for something that we think we'll like, we look for something that we think will be bad. And then we read it, and we discuss whether or not we were right. Uh, Most of the time, we do end up with a disappointing read, but once in a while, we actually end up liking or even loving the book. Uh, content warnings today, uh, in addition to our usual barnyard language, today's episode really just has, uh, yeah, I guess, cart- like, video game levels of, uh, animal violence, like, if you've ever seen a Pokemon or a Digimon. It's also got an attempted suicide and some questionable content regarding treatment of mental illness, and actually, I, I want to correct a little bit on oh, your Paris, okay. because, like... In this book, there is a lot of explicit gore and blood and violence and, like, head disintegrations happening, but then (laughs) the animals come back, like, they're fine, so it's this weird line of cartoony and gory, and in most of the Pokemon animes and in the games, there's not really any blood or violence. It's just like, oh, your thunder attacked me, Pikachu, go sleepy now, and (laughs) They'll wake up later. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. Your flame I... ball that engulfed that Pokemon. Ah, they're just a little crispy. They're fine. Uh, 
Okay, so it shares some similarities, but I guess Chris is right. Uh, he is the polka expert here. Uh, I am no such thing. <laughs> well, in comparison to me, who has never played a Pokemon in my life. Um, all right, so we've got some some sort of gore. I don't even know if we're going to talk about it. So this is a pretty, this is a pretty yeah. clean episode, except for our usual swearing. So welcome. All right. Um, this is the back of the book summary, or I—I I guess actually, Chris, do you want to do you want to read what's just on the back of the book, and then I'll read the kind of marketed summary that's that's on Amazon. Sure, I've got the hard copy here with me. The back of the book says there exists a powerful reality outside of our own. That's it. So when I so when I picked up this book from Little Free Library and I turned it over and I read that, I thought this was going to be another like unveiling the unseen world episode 50 like crazy shit so i was like oh fuck and i you know flipped through it it looked like it had been printed on demand i was like oh it's totally a self-published book so i started flipping through it and that's when i was like oh this is like a pokemon thing a digimon thing? i don't know i actually didn't pick up on that immediately but i thought maybe it was some kind of you know teenage kid and an animal familiar adventure and i was like well this this seems like it might be bad so i'm gonna take it home with me to boston and that's what happened (laughs) so and that's how this book made it all the way to the (laughs) east coast sometimes when you put your books in little free libraries i will find them no matter what state you're in oh just a little paris gremlin going into little free libraries uh anyway uh so if you're uh i guess so that's what's literally printed on the back of the book that one sentence but you know the actual kind of advertising summary is thus synthiers only the people who have them know of their existence upon creation their life force is tied to a human host and further power is unlocked by the creation of an emblem through use of this emblem a host is granted access to the realm of katharos that is the normal chain of events for a newly created synthier and host unfortunately for cyrus ward this happened while he was trying to end his life. All right. Chris, you want to take us through some characters and settings? Sure. Uh, the setting is mostly in that Katharos world. Katharos. Katharos? Katharos. Katharine Aros. The <laughs> land of Katharine Aros. Yeah, Katharine Aros. No, Katharos, I think, is the intended <laughs> pronunciation. Um, and there's like a brief scene or two where they're in nondescript American town somewhere. It's Minnesota. It's Minnesota. It's, <laughs> it's Minnesota. You know how I know it's Minnesota? How do you know it's Minnesota? It's, it snows most of the year. Um, and the protagonist talks about shopping at Target. It's how you fucking know it's from Minnesota. Also, I found it in Minnesota. So <laughs> I know it's self-published. <laughs> okay, so the likelihood, know, the likelihood of this being. Three pieces of evidence. Yeah, Minnesota. And I think someone. Fairly compelling. Like, I know it's definitely in the United States because they spell aluminum, aluminum, and not aluminium, like the rest of the world. And at one point in the book, someone says, oh, yeah, you're from the United States or something like that. And I'm like, okay, it's fucking Minnesota. Like, you can't, it's not, because for a minute I was like, maybe it's Canada. Canada's kind of close. I don't know. But no, it's Minnesota. Somebody in Minnesota. yeah, it's, it's not even that important where it is anyway, so let's move on from that. <laughs> no, but somehow the mention of Target specifically was, like, extra But Target's hilarious. everywhere. Like, what, no, no, why? no, 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 no. Minis- Minnesotans fucking love Target, dude. Okay. I think, I, mean, I think Target is from Minnesota, I believe. I should know this. I worked for Target for a long time when I was in school. 
And you were also in Minnesota recently, so I don't know, like, somehow that knowledge didn't coalesce into your head. I am almost positive that they are from Minnesota. It doesn't randomly, you know, it's some animal animal familiar doesn't tell you instantly how some things work and not others just for plot reasons. Anyway, speaking of other characters. Yeah, okay, yeah, they're definitely from fucking Minneapolis. God damn it, I knew I was right about that. I was like, I'm pretty sure when I was indoctrinated into target culture at the age of 17 when I was first hired, they were like, Minneapolis. Anyway. Yeah, it's all just Prince music all the time in every Target. I don't know if you knew that, but... <laughs> Alright, other Target characters. Target doesn't play music. Target doesn't play music. <laughs> other characters. <laughs> uh, Cyrus Ward, who is the main character protagonist. He's a suicidal teenager whose parents hate him for... reasons? They yeah. just don't like him. Yeah. Obviously, there's mentions of Cyrus's parents, but they don't really pop. They pop up like once. Then we have Cynthia's magical animal familiars to hosts the humans they're bound to. Um, there's a whole bunch of them, and they seem to just, you know, they, they're like Pokemons, right? They're all kinds of those animals. There's tree people. There's probably, uh, you know, like a magnet somewhere. Someone's got a magnet <laughs> Cynthia. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. I think it's all, I think it's still all kind of like Maybe there's an ice cream material. cone somewhere, because that's where Pokemon's at right now. This is oh, ice cream Oh, yeah. Cone. They've run out of living things. <laughs> I remember. They're just looking at anything on the desk, and they're like, uh, uh, Pencilmon. Um, uh, <laughs> I wonder. Uh, uh, empty soda can, Mon. Yeah, I mean, how bad is this going to get? Because weren't how many original Pokemon were there? hundred and It was 151. And now they're at like 800 or something oh, like that. Oh, no. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, at some point, they're just going to have to be like, we're in space now. And then it's just going to be aliens. Paris, because... Paris, th- Paris, that this happened already. Oh. That was like number 400 or something. That's Celebi, the fucking right. DNA Pokemon. Or well, no, that's Deoxys, <laughs> the DNA Pokemon. Well, they're going anyway, to have to start. a shitload from space. Well, they're going to have to start consulting with uh, the people who make Super Sentai because they've been running for... <laughs> Twenty, thirty seasons or something, and they keep if, coming up with things. If that's the case, I mean, then you would just have dinosaurs every five years because that's how Sentai works. It's just like every five years, they're like, "Hey, dinosaurs! You remember dinosaurs again?" Hey, man, people. One, people fucking like dinosaurs. Two, dinosaurs probably looked way cooler than we think they did. Um, and I don't know where I was going with three, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, dinosaurs. Just stop it, too. Two is enough. <laughs> no, I think, well, I think it's been successful for them in the past, right? Like, not only do people like it, but, like, it's produced revenue. So they're like, eh, different dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, there's a lot of different kinds of dinosaurs. That was my th- real third point before my brain broke. I've had a, I've had a weird day. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, probably the most important Cynthia, Mokepon, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's Mokepon. It's is Umbria, who is described as minkish, although it's just Umbreon. The po- you know the Pokemon Umbreon? <laughs> so That's here's what the, it is. Here's the funny thing is I didn't know that because I've never played Pokemon. So I'm like, a mink? Yeah, I was like, well, that's, that's kind of an interesting animal to choose. And it was like, a mink, but it has long ears. And I was like, well, then why not just choose like a long-eared rabbit? And then Chris pointed out that it it's just literally a pre-existing Pokemon named the only difference is that Umbria, the Cynthia, has long claws on her forepaws. Mm, true. She does have, like, meat slicers. Yeah, maybe she doesn't have, like, the circle things that are on actual Umbreon. But minor difference 
it even makes a mention earlier, like when they're naming Umbria. They're like, that sounds kind of familiar. And then he plays a game of Pokemon later. So like, shut up, dude. You know exactly where that came from. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a, a section in the text where the author tries to justify, oh, I looked up cool words in Latin and stuff, and this one means shadow. You would know about Umbreon. You would know yeah. about Umbreon if you played yeah. Pokemon as much as this guy does. Yeah. Anyway, there's also Aster and his Cynthia Lupin, who is the uh, antagonist of this. He, uh, we'll, we'll get to what, why, we'll get to kind of why he doesn't like Cyrus. No, no, we won't. Maybe. We'll never get there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never get there. Um, and then you have other various hosts and their Cynthia partners like Toro and Rufus, Chuck and Tank, Jack and Scythe. That's also just Scyther, the Pokemon Scyther. That's what that is, except it's a mantis instead of a whatever Scyther is. Uh, and then you have Alex and Mandrake, which I think is just a big tangela as far as I th- I'm concerned. I'm just glad you have some kind of Pokecyclopedia in your head because I didn't know that. I didn't know any of that. That's just from the original 150. Once you get past, like, number 200, I'm like, I, I don't know what's going oh, yeah, on here anymore. Sounds like too much real estate in my brain for magic. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have enough space for 800 <laughs> Pokemon and all their tight matchups and dragon is weak to poison or, like, normal is weak to grass. I don't know how that works. Look, anyway, I, Paris, have, I have different, more important video games to play. Yes. Like the Soul series and Elden yes. Ring. <laughs> Mature games for mature people like me that like to wave swords around and pretend I'm a magical knight. Yeah, I mean, to be real, like, we're really into video games, just different ones. Uh, So, whatever, it's fine. If you're you're into the Pokemon, that's cool. Uh, I just, you know, I gotta remember all the new weapons. I I gotta fucking learn how to ride a horse in Elden Ring. I got a lot of things that are gonna take up my brain space. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right um why don't we do our summary of yeah. this book paris would you like to do this summary uh sure so it's always more fun when chris writes these summaries and i haven't seen them and then i have to read them live um <clears throat> all right so here we're just gonna give you a, a basic summary of sort of the main points of the plot so that while we're critiquing it you'll at least kind of know what we're talking about Cyrus Ward is a teen who's had enough of his abusive parents and lonely life, so he decides to off himself with an Advil overdose. However, before he can, he's stopped by Umbria, a magical familiar that's just the Pokemon Umbreon, but with big foreclaws. Only Cyrus can see Umbria, and while at first he thinks he's gone insane, he grows to like her. At school, Cyrus has a run-in with Aster Gray, who knows about Cyrus's newfound friend. However, he somehow detected the murderous intent Cyrus had when he was daydreaming in a class about murdering his parents. Aster then decides that that means Cyrus is a threat, and so he transports them to another world and, and attempts to kill Cyrus and Umbria since they would be dangerous in his estimation. But then he doesn't, and decides to just leave them in that other world instead. Cyrus and Umbria try to take stock of the world that they've been thrust into, which they find out is called Catharos. There's a city full of people who have their own familiars, which are called Synthiers. Some things have some organization, like tournaments and a city guard, but other things absolutely do not, like the haphazard lumber harvesting job and the types of stores found in or around the city. The aforementioned tournament becomes a focal point for the rest of the story. Some exhibition matches occur that give Cyrus and Umbria data on how Synthier fighting works, although it's overall very unclear what means actual death or injury versus something that can be healed instantly. Aster returns to Catharos and wants Cyrus and Umbria removed. He 
even though he put them there and decided to leave them there, so not really sure what the deal is. Aster rapidly oscillates between wanting to imprison or kill Cyrus and Umbria and showing them up publicly in the tournament. Eventually, Cyrus wins enough tournament matches to face Aster, and even though Cyrus loses, he takes the opportunity to fistfight with Aster a bit and say, Haha, I've bested you because you won't use a massive attack while your guards are here, and also I will tell people who want you dead here about what school you attend on Earth. Aster backs down, Cyrus gets some contact info from what will undoubtedly be the party in the next book, and says, we're going home, which apparently he just figured out how to do. And if you thought that was kind of confusing and weird, so <laughs> <Yeah>. did we. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a lot of murkiness in this book. There's a lot of stuff that's unclear. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's move into the review. Uh, things that were good. Chris, what do you got? Um, uh, hmm. Action sequences are like half decent i guess yeah i think the fighting sequences are okay um i also i would also say another good thing is that i think i think this person at least you know thought about what they wanted to write and uh planned out a good first draft uh and they at least had someone spell check it like I think I only sure. caught, like, a couple typos. Microsoft so. Word probably helped a lot there. I don't know, man. The books we read, I don't know how they get to the <laughs> publisher. I mean, and this was self-published, and it was still, you know, at least didn't didn't really have any typos, or maybe had one or two. I don't, I don't quite remember. I usually keep track, but I don't, I don't remember any significant ones. Um, you know, there were some other issues with the text that we'll get to in a moment. I mean, otherwise, unfortunately, this isn't really a book for me. And it had a lot of problems, both technical and plot-wise. So I don't know if there's anything else good about the story. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the action sequences are followable, generally readable, yeah. although they suffer from this kind of writing that I don't know how to, what, how to accurately describe other than I can tell this person plays a lot of video games and thinks about fight sequences as if it's in a video game. Yeah. Well, it's not necessarily turn-based, but there's just something about descriptions of fireballs and energy attacks that makes me think, like, you play more video games than read books, don't you? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a reasonable assumption. Um, I will say another good thing about this book, there was no, like, casual misogyny or racism or anything that I could really pick up on. It was, you know, there's no romance or anything. Which, oh, yes, you know, for blessedly us, free great. of a needless uh, romance subplot. Yeah. Yeah, well, which I think is good, right? Because you, you yeah. know, you're not you're not getting bogged down in excessive subplots that are gonna, you know, like you said, you know, unnecessary. I think you know the writer at least knew the story he wanted to focus on, and that's what he did. Um, oh, you know what I will say? Umbria is characterized well. Yeah, right. I, right, I like Umbria has character. Yeah, I think she. I think she has more character. Than anybody else in the book, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Everyone else, maybe Aster just being evil is his whole character and mean, but Umbria is, you know, sort of uh, determined, uh, not quite narcissistic, but sort of self-centered in well, a way. And, and naive, and I think actually yes. you're right. I think that her character is is actually pretty good because it's how I would expect a creature who was who just was like, born into the world you know as like a 
I don't know, child or preteen kind of, you know, you just suddenly exist and you're like, of course you're going to be all about. I am. (laughs) (laughs) You know, of course, you know, of course you're going to be a little self-centered and naive and kind of childish, right? Because I mean, I assume even though she's not uh, an adult, I guess we're not really sure how old she is, but it's sort of assumed that she's either equivalent to Cyrus's human like high school age or maybe a little younger. Um yeah, I agree with you. I think I think Umbria had a personality and I thought it was it was pretty decently done. Yeah, good. All right. Yeah. Um that's pretty much okay. all I got for that though. Yeah, all right. Uh that's okay. Uh wait, all right. Now we're going to move into the things that were not good. So first off, I just want to get into the technical stuff. Y'all know that's like my favorite part. Um so the the thing about this book is that it really felt like a short story, like a, a long short story, I guess. There's no chapters, and the text is strangely formatted where it's all squished into the middle of the page because there are enormous margins, and the text is actually kind of large. So, you know, when you factor all that together, it's like, you know, if this were sort of printed in standard paperback format, it would be so much shorter uh so i you know i'm looking at this and i'm like well it seems like it's sort of about you know this kind of low-level fantasy adventure it's got this big print and big margins i was like well maybe it's for kids right as i was reading it and then i realized there were no chapters and i was like it's kind of weird i mean i don't think books necessarily need chapters but it, it does kind of help both you and the reader organize your thoughts as you're moving through a piece and uh, I think, you know, if if the target audience was children, which I kind of changed my mind about that later as, as the story progressed, um, you know, chapters help kids, like, feel like they accomplished something. It helps me feel like I accomplished something when I'm fucking reading, to be honest. Like, I, so it, it felt a little bit like I can't put this down, but not because I'm so engaged, but because I'm chained to this book because it has <laughs> yeah, no separation. I mean- yeah, it's a kind of a formatting nightmare, right? Yeah. Like, this really suffers from its formatting choices. And again, I don't think, like you, I don't think chapters are a 100% necessary thing to have in a book. And there are some divisions. There's, like, maybe three or four spots where there's a line in the middle of the text, and it'll cut to Aster doing something, and then it'll cut back to um, Cyrus and Umbria doing something. But that only happens a handful of times. Most of the rest of it is this very stream of consciousness style yeah. of, like, what happened day- like uh, days will be separated just, you know, paragraph to paragraph, and that's, like, you know, it's not like other books don't do that all the time, but there's beats to things that are usually in other books, and there it doesn't feel like there's an end to it here. Uh, when we were talking about this outside of recording, I kind of likened it to when a prog band makes a really long song, like <laughs> so, or even not a prog band, but like any band. Like, is Sleep's Dope Smoker is that an album or is it a song? Right, it's, just because it's a fucking it takes song. A- it's long as hell. It's a song. <laughs> Right, so, like, where's the division between, like, a longer work, like, album or book or novel versus a short story or a song like this? And this is formatted in an attempt to look like a book, but I agree with you that it should generally be considered a novella, perhaps, short story. Yeah. And some more divisions between certain points or just, like, points of rest for the reader would have helped a whole lot. Yeah, especially because... 
it's not like this book is doing anything else new. So, you know, you're not you're not Mark Danielewski here. You know, you're not like doing <laughs> doing crazy formatting to, you know, sort of like uh, push new frontiers in literature through like a, a strange new structural format. Um, I, <laughs> no, you just want to write about Pokemon fights too. Like, yeah, you know. right. And and that's fine. Like, I understand, you know, writing about Pokemon fights is probably fun for some people. But yeah, I just think that if you pick up a book, you expect it to be divided. And the, so the, the real problem here is that there's no real rhythm to the story. It's very, yes. like Chris was saying, it's very stream of consciousness just kind of goes, but there's, there's no um, anticipation, really. Uh, it, it doesn't have any excitement. And the lack of division actually contributes to that because you're like, oh, my God. And, and I remember I was on page 50 and I was like, holy shit, there's been no chapters. What the fuck? Like, I was like, when does this end? And then I just I just like flipped through it and I was like, oh, no. So it gives you kind of this feeling of futility, which is not really <laughs> something you want to inspire in your reader. Um, I guess for the most part. You know, uh, certain books are different, but in this case, you know, you're just writing like a kind of a, a little fantasy story. It, yeah, it just seemed seemed like a weird choice. So, you know, let's let's just maybe next time think about the division of the text a little bit and think about your beats and the rhythm of the story, and um, I think that would help. Secondly, you know, the writing overall, even though it was like spell checked clearly, um, it's still got some awkward phrasing. The writing is, like, really basic, a lot of sentence fragments. Like, <laughs> Chris, what did you say about, about the punctuation? Um, so there's oftentimes things aren't separate, clauses aren't separated by a semicolon or a comma or things like that. So my theory is that Leon and Chris, the book we read with too many commas, stole all the commas from this book <laughs> and was therefore overburdened with them and just had to sprinkle them about anywhere. Yeah, I think you're I think I think there was definitely some kind of comma or semicolon shortage in in this <laughs> author's world. Yeah, so that key on the keyboard was just a little bit too sticky, you know, <laughs> it's not worth reaching for it. Yeah. And and there were just some, you know, beyond the sentence fragments, you know, and not really constructing sentences. Uh well, the writing was just kind of bland, you know. I mean, it was it was really to the point. And which is why it sort of made me feel at the beginning, like, you know, it opens with an attempted suicide. But even then I was like, well, you know, it doesn't I mean, kids still need to engage with difficult topics. You know, I've I've actually I've said that many times on the show how mm -hmm. I think you actually need to give kids kind of um, more credit that they can handle things like that. <laughs> but the writing was still kind of. Um, I'm not really sure what level I would put it at. I know there's there's like a technical ranking for for grade levels and and things, but I don't know. It didn't it didn't excite me. Again, very it's got bland. that very matter of fact kind of yes. writing style where like there's not any descriptions that really put me in the moment too much or like extra sensory details like smell or touch or you know even certain kinds of color descriptors even though i'm colorblind but just like little extra things like that really help put you in the world but uh, everything yeah, is very matter-of-factly stated like and then they shot the fireball and he dodged to the left and after he dodged to the left he went in a little closer and they thought about the strategy that they had planned beforehand well chris actually if you could maybe pop over to the beginning of the book and read an expert either about like maybe when he's getting a burrito or maybe during the 
any I mean honestly any anything where he's kind of just just scan for something that's <laughs> awkward. Scanning? There's, there's there's plenty of things that are, I just didn't write them down. Cyrus took out the crumpled $5 bill and put it on the counter, the entirety of his funds spent in a day. Toro was kind enough to load up the small skewers with extra cubes of meat. Earning him an excited hug from Umbria before we, she retreated back to Cyrus' shoulder to gnaw on her new favorite food. By the way, that sentence right there, earning her... Earning him an excited hug from Umbria, comma, before she retreated back to Cyrus' shoulder to gnaw on her new favorite food. Earning is the start of a new complete sentence when yeah, it should have that's... been an extended clause right there. Um, though she'd only ever tried one thing. That's another sentence. Cyrus probably wouldn't have been as ecstatic to dig into his own meal, but being as hungry as he was, it was the most delicious thing he tasted in a long time. The city was pretty big, and so the road to the other entrance in the west was decently long, made only more so by Umbria's constant need to look at what sands were selling. Most of them had things made out of wood, or some form of treat or food. One was selling regular name-brand candy you could find in a vending machine. Another was selling kitchen utensils made out of wood, all except for the knives which were made of some other material, probably ceramic. Yet another stand was selling soaps and toiletries, which Cyrus noted he would probably have to come back to. So, like, no descriptions of what the food smelled like or looked like or even, you know, some sort of, like, description of how organized or unorganized the market was or the individual stands might be, the kinds of people running them. Just here is the list of things that were here. Right. If I, I mean, you know, if you really wanted to kind of write an immersive sort of bizarre scene, you would maybe have the main character thinking about, Oh, what's that smell? It smell, you know. And and as I turned to investigate, you know, a a woman with a soup ladle rushed into my face and said, "Ah, lentil soup," you know. And like, you know, you want to have some kind of interaction, some kind of sensory experience that isn't just. And then this thing was there, and then this other thing was next to it, and then this was behind it. I mean, like telling me about the like, <laughs> the like where things are in the physical plane is important and sadly something that we've seen other authors fail to do but yes. i but you gotta add more flavor to that um you you really i mean this just it's not immersive and it doesn't make me want to keep reading it i guess yeah it, it's like just generic at. market scene that has no flavoring or world building added to it so like how is this different from any other marketplace scene in some rpg video game or fantasy book thing where like you know what separates it out from there yeah and it's it's not telling you anything about you know i mean all i guess all it really tells you is that the main character cyrus feels like smelly or gross because he's like oh i have to come back for toiletries but also like, the, i guess the little tidbit of everything is mostly wood because they can't bring metal that's sort of implied there oh right right yeah i guess that's true but yeah, I don't know. It's again, it's very kind of plotting. That that is how I how I would describe yes. probably all of this. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, um next next point that I had, although Chris, I'm sorry, I think you had something that I I, I was gonna try to segue our original point about um the pacing being weird because of the formatting. The other thing that makes the pacing weird is very murky explanations for character motivations. Yeah. Right? That's true. Like it, I mean, it's... we can talk about that now if you want. I was gonna, I was gonna settle on some like other one other technical thing that I had. 
why don't you get the last technical detail out and then we can get into some of the deeper uh, plot problems. Actually, I think this is the same point you're making. So my next point was going to be that in addition to being plotting, the writing focuses kind of idles on useless details while missing more important pieces. So there's like all this detail on um, logging, like like the like the felling of trees and redeeming those trees for money, logging, lumber work, uh, which is I, one of the only ways you can kind of just show up in town and make money, which is, again, like an insanely video game-based economy. Yes, yes. Like I, uh, uh, Do the so logging quest and you'll get $20. Also, uh, the economy for trees is also very murky, right? Like, did it, you ever get a sense for, like, how much a size of tree was worth? It's like he brings one tree and it's, like, $11. Then he brings a bunch of smaller trees that could maybe be more than the first tree. But that's seven dollars. But then, in the course of four hours, they can fell like eighty trees and get ninety dollars. Like it's, I just had hey, no. You know, it's you know a great story where I don't have to fucking read about tree redemption. <laughs> yes, <laughs> where I don't have to think about how many dollars a tree is or a fucking twig is. Like, there well, was he's just... putting so much effort into writing about the yeah. tree logging thing. So, like, I'm trying to pay attention. Like, okay, clearly there's going to be some kind of plot point later where I have to calculate that, how many yeah, trees yeah. do I have to cut down. Oh. And I want to get in on it. I'm trying to get invested. How many trees would you have to cut down, Cyrus and Umbria, to get the magical bingle dog that it will give you the powers? I don't know. Dude, I had I had a similar problem where I was like, okay, they're, I was like, maybe they're telling the story because they're going to learn how hard working is. You know, maybe there'll be some, <laughs> some capitalist fairy tale about how, <laughs> how you have to work hard and earn your living. But, like, they don't even... I mean, they do talk about how it is physically exhausting, but they don't really, like, learn anything. They're just like, oh, man, that sure is hard. Oh, well, let's go. Let's sign up for the <laughs> tournament and murder other creatures. Like, I, There's a little it, bit of, uh, like, oh, it's good, like, exercise and mild practice for tournament fighting. True. But, like, but, only a little bit. And yeah. there's really, like, a lot of pages talking about, like, yeah. the process of dragging <laughs> yes, it back. Yes. And, like... Yeah, this is my point, is that, you know, if you did want to talk about, hey, the logging process is important because it helps it helped Umbria develop her skills. And it also helped Umbria and Cyrus develop, like, um, a sort of, like, their teamwork routine. You could have told me that in a page. It was, like... 20 fucking pages of logging. It might have also, even been Also, it doesn't even that. really develop their teamwork because they kind of, you know, work together at the start, but then it's just Cyrus sort of sitting around being like a dink and just going like, well, Umbria, I guess you can cut it down. I'll drag it back. And then he's just kind of moping when she's yeah. doing it most of the rest of the time. Yeah, I guess point being here is that it would have been worth the author's time to focus on Something that's actually important, like, for example, the villains' motivations. What <laughs> yeah. are those? Because I don't know what they are after reading this book. Um, Aster senses that um, uh, Cyrus has murderous intent because he can, like, read the emotion of Cyrus daydreaming about murdering his parents while they're in school one day. No, I think, I think the Cynthiers can read each other, and they're kind of, like, reflective of their hosts. Emotions? Okay. Is that right? Sure. Is that right? Yes. What, yes. I yeah. I don't even happen. care, honestly, because Paris. In, in any case, like, why is that enough for Astra to be like, "Well, you must die now"? Yeah, I would love to know that too. And also, I get the sense that they're in high school, so 
yeah, it just seems really extreme. It's not like we're talking about grizzled, battle-hardened people in the middle of a war. Like, these are just two teenagers with a fucking magical familiar. Yeah, I don't, I mean, wouldn't you want to, I don't know, make sure that, like, that ire is <laughs> sure directed towards you or anyone? I mean, if, if you know, presumably uh, Aster has had his Cynthia for much longer than Cyrus, given that, you know, he had him first. He's clearly way more skilled. He's, like, the head of the city guard in the in the imaginary world or whatever. I mean, wouldn't he know by now that not all of the emotions that someone thinks up, you know, will tra- be translated into, into action in the real world? I don't... It just well, seems like a really weird thing to make an assumption about. Yeah, and then immediately be like, well, guess I have to murder you, and then, like, boop you out of existence into a fucking field and have a but death then, battle. <laughs> but then, Paris, like, if he's so convicted about this, right, that it's necessary, then why does he keep alternating between, like, I guess I'll let you go for now, but not anymore, but now, I, you know what, actually, you made a good point, but not, you know what, maybe I will kill you, maybe I'll just imprison you, like... Which is it? What what does Aster want to do to Cyrus besides? Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, my only vaguely other... hurt him somehow. Yeah, and and the weird thing is, like, I think that they hadn't really had any interactions before that. You know, no, like, it explicitly think... says like, oh, I saw him in school, but we never talked. Yeah, and all I can think of is maybe he's just mad that there's someone else who's a cool polka guy at his school. But, you know, to murder someone over that, it's like, it's, it's kind of a big leap. It's kind of a big leap. Again, there's nothing serious going on here. This isn't wartime. This isn't a life or death situation. And I mean, if Aster did interpret it that way, then we need a little more background on Aster to understand why that's a reasonable assumption for him. Does he have a severe mental illness? It, does he have an aggression problem? You know, is he actually a bloodthirsty murderer? Like, we need to we need to know that background because without any detail, it seems like a, a just a wild thing for someone yes. <laughs> to decide offhand based on one interaction. There's a hint later on where Astro's talking about like what he's reprimanding Alex for not winning the tournament. He's like, Don't you remember what happened last time I showed mercy? It cost me everything. And okay, there's a little background there, but then you never do anything with it in, in Well, and books. there's no real explanation. He just says yes, that. And exactly. There's no explanation. So So, so you're just I, dangling kind of a mystery for me, but then never doing anything with it. Right. And then like you said, you know, if if we do have this antagonist who's gonna go back and forth, if there's some waffling there. We need to get an inside view as to why he's waffling. Is this the first time he's thought of killing someone and he just can't do it because he's he's worried about it, how how ethical or unethical it is? Like, tell me that. Tell give me some insight. Give me some context clues. <laughs> a give crumb, me, please, dude, sir. I will a take, crumb of background. I will. I will take fucking book pictionary. Like, tell like <laughs> give, give me give me the view of someone else watching Aster. And, like, describing the scene, and I'll be like, all right, okay, I see. What about Alex, the former guard, talking a little bit about Alex's background? Or Aster's background, you mean? Yeah, yeah, Aster's background. Yeah, it would be helpful if we got anything to explain it, but right, I mean, as it stands, 
I don't understand the villain's motivations and the only one given doesn't really like doesn't really make sense. And like Chris said, you know, Aster, you know, apparently wants to kill Cyrus, but has all these opportunities and just doesn't do it. And it's it's the first time I think it's because he decides he's not a threat after all. He's like, ah, whatever. I'll just leave him here. But then, like, why are you leaving him in the city that you're like the head city guard for if you were so worried about him causing trouble? Yeah, why wouldn't you just send him back to Earth and be like, fuck you, you don't get to come into Cool World. Like, I don't... <laughs> so, like, what's I the don't point? Like, just, does he want him to starve and die there? Did he think, like, oh, well, he'll never figure out how to do the logging minigame. Therefore, maybe. I mean, maybe, maybe that's... Him. Yeah, maybe that's true. Maybe he's so... And, and I think that the, you know, the author was trying to kind of give us this sense that Aster is so um, sort of stuck up, right? He's so... Um, arrogant that maybe that is what he was thinking but it's not really told well enough in the story the tale is yes. not told well enough so again more detail yeah Aster is just he's just cartoon villain right much like yeah. Cyrus's parents were also just like cartoon villain parents in a way right so this is another thing that you know where we really need more detail on th- the second important piece which is Cyrus's abusive home life. I mean, if this kid, this kid was really about to kill himself by eating an entire bottle of Advil, which uh, I was sad to find out is apparently incredibly common in America. Oh, yeah. uh, holy uh-huh. shit, I did not know that. At first, I thought it was a little silly, like, okay, you know, that seems like a silly way to try to um, kill yourself, but evidently it is a major problem. So, whew, that was quite the fact to learn. So anyway, you have this kid who is you know, in the act of killing himself. And the only details we really get about why his home life is so bad is that his parents really want him to do well in school. So he has to kind of always be doing schoolwork. He has to always be studying or doing homework. He doesn't seem like he has any real free time for himself. And they also make him do kind of like hard labor, like, Whenever they want, like a fence moved or rocks, decorative it's rocks, literally just rocks moved. up and down a hill, which is like again, like a very cartoon villain sort of like just move the rocks, <laughs> yeah, move the rocks for us forever. Weird. And then, um, lastly, like his stepfather spits on his frozen burritos, which is something that I can only imagine must have happened to the author in real life because. I've never heard of anyone That's doing very that. specific, right? Yeah. So, also, it's kind of strange to me, okay, so his parents, assuming the stepfather too, cares a lot about how he does well in school, but then spits on his burritos, like, that's kind of an incongruous pairing, right? Like, I really want you to do well in school, but I also hate your fucking guts. If I hated your guts, I don't care how you do in school. Right, and also, like, he is, he does do very well in school, he excels academically, but he, he feels like it's never enough for his parents. I just. I, we do not get enough d- data there to make to make a convincing argument for me that someone would want to kill themselves as a result of this situation. Like, okay, your stepdad spitting on your burritos is really terrible, but also I don't understand. Like, it, like you said, Chris, it doesn't really um doesn't really match up with the idea that they want him to do really well and want him to succeed, but also hate him. Yes. I don't know. I mean, look, that, that, look, man, that's like parent, incongruous parent, matchup. Parent-child relationships can be complicated. 
I've, I mean, I've, I've kind of had a similar experience where, you know, I had a parent who was really cruel to me and not very good at parenting, but also really wanted me to succeed because they saw it as like a meal ticket, right? They saw if I succeeded, then I would take care of them. So I can kind of understand that. But again, we don't get, we don't get enough data for it to be compelling. Like, I don't, I don't sympathize or empathize with Cyrus at all. I'm just like, okay, kind of sounds like a whiny teenager. And honestly, if, you know, if, if that's what you're getting at, I guess fine. But I don't know. Either way, there's not enough detail on the parent relationship to make the whole like suicide thing and set and wanting to escape his world. I, I mean, there, there is some hit. The other thing that's connected to this that I really hated, there is a note that the main character Cyrus may have depression. And he basically says he is like rejected medication and that he really likes that he can feel Umbria's feelings of joy because it's better than taking pills. And I was like, oh, that's not a good message. Anyway, the description of sort of his home, his abusive home life isn't really enough to make it effective or compelling as as a plot point. Uh, I also wanted to mention that on page 33, Chris, if you could actually go to page 33 for me, there is a section where the main character, Cyrus, kind of hints that he might have depression or have been described prescribed medication. Uh, I would like you to read that section if you can find it, Chris. Cyrus was a bit less excited about Umbria being able to read his thoughts while he had this thing on. He could just take it off too, though, so at least there was some form of control over it. And while he couldn't read her thoughts, the necklace did work both ways a bit. He could actually feel her excitement and happiness rising up. He could tell the feelings weren't his own. They had an alien sensation about them, but they still brought a smile to his face. If it hadn't been for that little feature, he probably would have taken it off right then and left it off. Feeling emotions that bright and vibrant was an incredible experience, more effective than any drug his parents could force him to take. But as with most things, the novelty wore off quickly. Umbria settled down a bit, and while he was definitely still enjoying her constant joy flooding into his mind, he had things to do if he was staying alive for now. Yeah, so unfortunately we have this sentiment of, like, medication is bad if you have mental health problems, and honestly, dude, maybe if you had taken the medication... (laughs) things would be a little better i i guess i just don't like the idea that yeah i i don't like that idea in there that if you're you know if you're prescribed medications you shouldn't take them in because you want to spite your parents like you know your parents weren't the ones who prescribed the medication to you presumably so (laughs) i i don't know i know that that can be tough because a lot of times teenagers feel like, no, I do it on my own. Man, my parents make me go to the doctor. Therefore, I associate the medications with them. But it's just not a good message to have in your book. Like, it's hard enough getting people, especially, uh, you know, male male presenting folks to uh, pay attention to their mental health and get it taken care of. So, yeah, don't don't love that sentiment in here either chris i don't I mean, know if you noticed that if only if only everyone had a happy pokemon i'm sorry mokepon <laughs> yes partner only. to pair up with that could fill your mind with joy and happiness because uh she's happy about um you sticking around and helping her learn stuff and train 
If only Yay. I had a friend that was always happy to be around me and wasn't a really a human being. <laughs> if only. Um, yeah. If I mean, only I had talking cat Paris. <laughs> a talking cat? I, I don't know, man. A, a Paris creature, like I was saying, you know, the little free library gremlin Paris, like that would that'd be a hell of a Cynthia. Yeah, it? you know what? I'm thinking about that now. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't want that around me at all times. <laughs> It's just like, let's go read another terrible book. <laughs> oh, wait, Paris, is Tereblo my mokeh pawn familiar? Yes, Tereblo. I mean, Tereblo is now emblazoned on your arm, True. so I I think you've it been marked. It has manifested, so. You've been marked. Oh, well, yeah, let's bring all the books in here, huh? <laughs> let's do it all. Am I the seeker uh, of, of literary truth? You're the seeker of literary trash, is, is what you are. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyway, back to the book at hand here. Uh -huh. Um. So, moving on to our next point. Uh, speaking of you know this relationship here with this the Cynthia, this sort of animal familiar, they have to be really close to each other all the time, which sounds generally unpleasant. You know, if you're a vaguely adolescent or adult, you know, you get some like personal hygiene or your sexual hygiene or activity you gotta engage in. Kind of fucking awkward to have, you know, your familiar there who is totally sentient. It's not like a dog. Uh, so I, I just find that very concerning. They actually try to be in separate rooms and it, it's it works work sometimes, but they're... also not others, right? Yeah. Okay, there's another it... unclear, murky thing here, Paris. Please describe to me. Any solid rule for this distancing or separation thing? Ugh, dude, I don't know. I think it's like a distance thing and also the certain types of materials affect it. But, I mean, I agree that it's a failing of the book that it's not more clear. But regardless, the idea that they have to be together all the time, it's like, just, just bad. Who, who the fuck wants to sign up for that? That just, ugh, that just sounds sounds real terrible i and, and it doesn't seem like you it's not like a a child where you can get a sitter right you can't get like a babysitter for your cynthia they're they're attached to your fucking soul like you can't you can't <laughs> chirp them off to somebody else so i really hope you like your cynthia i really hope you two get along yeah, right here's the other thing what if they don't get like what the fuck I mean, yeah, what if you're what if it's a maga cynthia and like you're like really <laughs> Don't take the vaccine, Cyrus. Your, your Cynthia is just got microchips really... in it. Chris, what if your Cynthia's are really tiny, like Kelly and Conway? Just oh, like <laughs> Jesus Christ. Spewing <laughs> hatred and nonsense at you all the time. You're just like, shut the fuck up. How are you even listening to Alex Jones in another fucking reality? No, it's Jalex Owens. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. Problem one is These that... These Cynthia's are sucking the blood out of babies <laughs> every day. They are resurrected at their battle sites all the time. How do they do that? Magic powers that they got from aliens. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this is... Oh, God, I can't... They're putting chemicals in the trees that they fell <laughs> that make the frog Cynthia's gay. <laughs> Oh, I'm still amazed by the fact that he was right about that. <laughs> the frogs were turning, they were turning gay. 
They were yeah. turning gay, as far as I, I mean, or were they turning gay, or were they, or were they changing gender? I forget. Exactly I don't know, but I remember looking it up and being like, "Oh my god, <laughs> oh my god!" <laughs> oh no, How I have to listen it... to Infowars now. <laughs> yeah, no, and it just turned out to be the you know broken clock and all. It's like the one thing that happened to be. I mean, like, who cares if the frogs are gay? Like, right? Like, actually, you know what? Maybe they weren't gay. Maybe <laughs> anyway, the something about the frog sexuality was was changing. Whether it was their, their genitalia or their orientation, I do not remember, but. Moving on, <laughs> past the frogs, <laughs> past the frogs now. Uh, no matter how much you loved your animal familiar, having them with you literally at all times seems like hell, seems like absolute hell. Mm-hmm. I would never want someone to be with mm-hmm. me every moment of every day. Like, don't get me wrong. I, you know, love my best friends, love you and Tris, love my fiance, love of my life but do i do i want to see all of you at every waking moment of my existence no i need some fucking alone time everyone needs some alone time to be healthy and happy for fuck's sake (laughs) this is a really weird thing to write into your world um just yeah i because it doesn't seem like they can disconnect ever right like there's no situation where they can be apart they allude to Cynthia's dying and hosts like not having their Cynthia anymore, but even then it's really murky as to what actually kills a Cynthia. Well, I think that no, I uh, I think that they would have to um they would have to be grievously hurt and injured outside of the seemingly magical arena um and their host would have to be out of healing juice. I guess that's the situation I can imagine, which they may die. But um, yeah, all the all the fighting that happens in this book, like we were talking about, you know, them dying and stuff. They don't really die. Whenever they fight in the arena, you know, just like in Pokemon or, or other kind of RPGs and stuff, like your creature, you know, dies or gets sleepy because it's you know lost the battle or whatever in this version it's a lot more gory like in the arena the synthiers actually get ripped apart and stuff but through the magic of question mark uh they don't (laughs) just it's like they don't feel it as much and they also don't actually die or experience like they experience the injury, but not really. Again, this is another part that's like they sort fade of unclear. away and then they come back. The rhino has his head disintegrated by Umbria at one point, and he comes back a okay. But then later on, there's this line where Cyrus is talking to Umbria. Is like, well, if they cut off your arm, I probably wouldn't be able to heal that. Like, why? You're healing like guts and stuff, which is much more complicated than an arm. Well, I think that may have been at the point where he hadn't quite figured out his... They hadn't quite figured out the healing stuff yet. I think That was like two-thirds of the way through the book, Paris. They, they oh, figured really? out okay. a good amount of the healing stuff. Uh, whatever. I read this book like a month ago. I don't <laughs> fucking remember anymore. Um, all right. So, in any case, having, having a familiar with you all the time sounds like actual hell. Um, and this arena, you know, sort of the... the Rules of death and injury around these Mokepon is not not super clear. Uh, really would have preferred more clarity there. So, what are the odds that another kid at the same school is also a Mokepon host? Like, how common is this? It's very I mean, 
it, I don't understand. Is this Catharos really, seems populated, but it's not a big place, right? It's literally like there's the city, and then they mention like, oh, if you go north, there's a shrine with a big letter N on it, and that's how we <laughs> determine north. Yeah, and then there's an S at the other side. So it's literally this relatively small bounded plane. Like, it's not, I again, like Chris just said, I don't get the sense that it's very large. Also, it seems everyone's, like, really American, so maybe Kotharos is just, like, the American server, right? Like, you can't yeah, connect to the European that's, that's plane, mokepod plane or something. But even then, there's, like, not that many people in Kotharos, so it can't be that, I mean, like... Maybe it's, I, I like, guess, a really local server. Maybe this is, like, a <laughs> land party. This is, like, an yeah. old fucking school land party. Like, it's just everybody in that town. Maybe it's just everyone in their town or state who has a Cynthia, I don't, I don't know. But again, fucking unclear, and we have no yes. idea. Like the world building, it, God, it's like it was built on like wax paper. You just blow on <laughs> it's it. It's a very it's sloppy years. world. Yeah, it's, it's just a mess. You're trying to hold all these like concepts together, but they all just keep slipping through your fingers because they're so murky. You can't grab a solid hold on to anything. Why can't I hold on to all of these world concepts? <laughs> There, I mean, I, I basically, the rest of my critiques are just these lists of weird shit. Like, so as I'm reading the book, I get to page 61 and I, I like laugh to myself. I'm like, what, did they go to the ethereal Pokemon battle plane? Did she know she was entirely correct? Yes, they did <laughs> yeah. go to the ethereal Pokemon oh, battle plane. I was so mad when I was right about that. Um, So this is a, another, just, we're, again, we're just bouncing, bouncing through the weird points in this book. So there's... When we read uh, Reaper's Creek, there was a scene where I think the main character was like all super proud and he was like flying through the air and his like pants fell down and it just made no sense. It had no bearing on anything. There's another pants falling down scene in this book at a really weird time. And I (laughs) I don't understand the connection. Like the old pants down gag. Why is there a pants falling down scene? Like it's not funny. It doesn't do anything i stop don't put it in your books unless unless there's it's some supposed reason for to it. be comedic because the metal zipper and belt button didn't make it through the portal to the other world because you can't pass metal through so that made his pants fall down and ha ha funny anyway um you know moving moving through these weird bullet points we have uh a character named toro who basically felt like my neighbor Toro, the tutorial stage of this video game. I mean, book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very clearly, again, like the, the first uh, merchant you walk up to in a video game that tells you exposition. Like, oh, you don't know what this is about? Oh, just go over there and complete this quest and you will start your video game adventure. Yeah. Um, and overall, I gotta say, talking about bad world building, this fantasy world is just really lame. I mean... If this is your fantasy, I am concerned for your reality. So in this fantasy, it's I'm just going to read a list of things it has. Chocolate-covered Oreos and the importance of being earnest is, is being performed at the theater. They've got plastic forks and breakfast burritos, but also no practical items are really available. Uh, and there's only this one woman who gets them from Earth and she does a really bad job and gets only shitty items. I mean, 
it's just it's not but it's but it says consistent. Toro can move back and Toro says he goes back to Earth every night to sleep. Yeah, so so some people know how to go back and forth. Our main character just hasn't figured it out yet. So why isn't Toro's business like, oh, I could just get this shit way easier than Clara, and I could outcompete her very easily and just get the shit that you want? Because he likes because he likes to sell meat and breakfast burritos, Chris. I have no other explanation for you. He doesn't want to get into the, the dry goods business. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Only wet goods. <laughs> and, I mean, it's just like, if I were making a fantasy world, I would A, want to come up with some fantastical elements that were not part of my real world. Like, for example, plastic forks have no place in my fantasy. Be gone with these. Be gone. Be gone. I don't want plastic right, it's forks. It's just like a generic melange I, of stuff that's out there in the real world anyway, but just sort of haphazardly and sloppily mixed in here. And the only thing that's, like, fantastical is the synthiers and the fighting tournaments. And like and it would be it would be a little different if I'm not saying you you can't have like a sort of a modern fantasy but it doesn't feel very fun you know or or interesting it doesn't feel like either of those things it just feels like I wandered into a parking lot where people were cosplaying as Pokemon <laughs> and their fighters like it just like, doesn't feel Why do I care that you're going to see the importance of being earnest yeah, what is that? What is that? Why would that be the play that's, that's <laughs> being performed in this world there's not, again? There's not actors in here who are doing, like, Cynthia-based plays about, like, you know, stuff that they wrote, like, because, you know, here's all the people that have the common experience of having a Cynthia with them, and maybe there's something to say about that in art. No, well, we're just going to do yeah. fucking the importance of being artists again. And why is it chalk-covered Oreos? Why can't it become... Why can't it be, I don't know, uh sour covered fucking kebabs like i don't know maybe that's what they're into there like and i mean furthermore they then in the book the book later says that there's a library with books about the history of katharo so if this place has its own independent history why why are they performing the importance of being earnest <laughs> Not what, where is the detail the or something like where is the rich detail here about anything in this world this world feels remarkably like the world we all live in, except you can fight your Pokemon and they don't die. I just not, it's not interesting. There's chocolate-covered Oreos, Paris. Where do they get the chocolate-covered Oreos? They're getting them from Earth, right? So people can move. So why is Clara like the only store with a tent if someone I else is getting chocolate-covered Oreos? <laughs> Yeah, and then, you know... Yeah, I Are don't... they making the chocolate-covered Oreos? Is there a Cynthia that just shits Oreos and another one that does chocolate? <laughs> it doesn't seem like anyone is organized. Like, this. why hasn't someone started a logging business that's like, okay, your big Cynthia can chop oh my the God, logs yeah, down, the lo the logging and then my, is... <laughs> my very you know strong Cynthia carries them all back, and we can make a bunch of money really quickly. And, oh, I can start a construction... They built the building somehow, somewhere, right? There's a construction... Uh, there's a contractor somewhere that has built all the buildings and castles that are not organized. Wouldn't they have an organization system to go get the lumber? Or are they always relying on, like, slave labor at random rates? <laughs> yeah, not dude. Quite slave labor. They're paying them, I, so. Yeah, I had I had the same questions. Like, it just... The, None this is getting absurdly is close to my growing around ranch. Do you remember when I, my <laughs> mind broke about, like, there would be... Everything's covered in chocolate and kangaroo pouch mucus? <laughs> 
kind of feels like this, right? Like, yeah. what, apparently everything is, co- is covered in Oreos and psychic uh, mink energy <laughs> disintegrated all the time. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, let's hope that one day I wake up and my, you know, animal familiar is Oreolo and it just shits out <laughs> fucking fried Oreos. That's what, that's what I want. Um, Sadly, I, yeah, Paris, I, it only shits out complete bowls of pork ramen. Okay, that's your magic. That's what I mean. It's a horrible incompatibility, and you'd have to live <sighs> with that horrible, porky-smelling synthere your entire life. I like that. Actually, might might push me to suicide. Like I, <laughs> I, or at the minimum, like figuring out the part of my brain that connects with the synthere hub and just ripping it out because I don't <laughs> think I can handle that. That is just that inexcusable. Uh, um, you know. The other confusing thing about this, uh, other than all these little things, and the big things we talked about earlier, it's another big thing. What's the audience for this book? Who's the audience? Who is this book um, for? Uh, like 13-year-olds who are still into Pokemon a lot that want to read the word fuck sometimes, because that makes your book mature. Yeah, like, it has a single use of the word fuck, and then no, I No, no, think- no, 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 there's like seven. Really? Yes. I don't think that's right, Chris. There I is like, like a, I there was a, a there's a part where where Cyrus says go fuck yourself. Um, there's a part where he says fuck Umbria. Why'd you do that? There's a that's part, the only one I remember is the no. Fuck, there's Umbria. there's many fucks. There's oh many really? Fucks. Okay. I guess I I guess I blacked out. Which I mean, honestly, while reading this, I'm not surprised. I thought there was only one fuck and like an asshole or an ass or something. There's a cup. There's a bunch of assholes. There's a bunch of fucks. It's not super often, but... I didn't think... Yeah, I didn't... I don't know. I'm still not remembering there being that many. But in any case, the presence of the swears confused me. Because, like I said earlier, at first, I thought that this book was for... I don't know, like, third to sixth graders, maybe? You know? And then I was like, well, there's kind of a lot of swearing, but... I mean, the... It's just not... It's just not very... I don't think this is compelling enough for a person who is older than like a child to read. I just don't. I'm not saying that I'm, you know, and this isn't me saying like, whoa, Pokemon's for babies. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the the pacing, the language style being very basic, like the content of the plot. I mean, it's just all really. I, I don't know who would enjoy this other than children who just want to read about like Pokemon fights because but it's not actual Pokemon. They want to read about different Pokemon in a less exciting world than Pokemon. But they are basically just Pokemon. Like you you basically said as much that like all the ones that we see in the book are just pre-existing Pokemon. Not all of them, like the bipedal fox, like the fact that a lot of them are bipedal is different. But I mean, like the, the Alex's Mandrake is, like I said, it's basically a Tangela. Um, Scythe is a Mantis, which is different from Scyther, who is this sort of like, uh, like sickle clawed, uh, I don't know, thing. It's it's definitely not like a regular animal or anything. It could be. It's Mantis-ish, maybe if you looked up Scyther. But like, eh. do you think? Okay, okay. I just quickly googled bipedal Pokemon. And the first autofill search that came up was bipedal Pokemon hate. <laughs> Whoa. Jeez. 
people really don't like bipedal Pokemon. I guess they like fuck Machop and Machamp then. Jesus Christ. So, in looking at these, do you think that Lupin could be an analog for Lucario? Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Because it looks like the description in the book. Yes. Or whatever this... Wait, he has fire, right? No. I thought Lucario he, no. is fighting type, I believe. Fighting and psychic type, maybe? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I meant Lupin in the book. Oh, yeah, Lupin in the book is fire type, for sure. Okay, well, there's another one that just looks like an evolved version of a Lucario. See, I know the word evolved. Um, and it's like Lucario, but fiery. So I feel like that's what Lupin was based on. I have no idea what the fuck that Pokemon actually is. But there's like two different images of it. So it leads me to believe that it's a real sure. Pokemon. I mean, yeah. Oh, bl- the <laughs> Blaze, Blaze the Blaziken. All right, now I'm on Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> now we're <laughs> on fucking. On the uh, Wiki. Wait, this is Fakemon. Wait, I'm being yeah. tricked by the internet, yeah, Chris. That's but there's fan so art. many. No, 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 but there's so many of them. Yes. Blaziken has to be real. Blaziken's real. real. That's a real Pokemon, but like Blaze the Blaziken is probably someone's like OC version of Blaziken. Okay, well, Blaziken... (laughs) Paris, how did you spend your Wednesday night? Well, (laughs) let me tell you. Uh, Oh, uh, it says Blaziken is a bird. Okay. Yes. It's a completely different Pokemon from what Lucario is. I think I... Sorry. You know, okay. the, the <laughs> bipedal Pokemon landscape is, is a confusing one. Um, anyway, I think it's Lucario. Yeah, even though Lucario is obviously a jackal, I think. Uh, yeah, I get the thing. The what thing. I more meant is that there's like bipedal versions of animals that are commonly quadrupedal. So like there's mm. a crab that walks on two legs. There's a fox that walks on two legs. Even Tank the Rhino, I think, is like two-legged in a way. And the bipedal Pokemon are generally sort of, like, built less like their animal counterpart, even if it's, like, Blaziken's supposed to be kind of a bird. He's not really a bird. He's, he has, like, feathers and he stands upright. Yeah. I mean, birds stand. <laughs> That's clear. true. That's to true. Birds are quadruped. Birds stand on two legs, <laughs> generally speaking. So but, like, I don't think thin, it's... thin, spindly legs. <laughs> yeah, this is like a jacked bird. Like, he's, he's, a, he's, he's, done some, he's done some squats with a lot of weight. He's got some quads. Um, uh, I Paris, this, Honestly, this, this episode is, is as loose. This episode is as loose as the world building in the book. I feel like we end up mirroring the books we read in the episodes we do quite often, and this feels like that. Yeah. Um Oh yeah, that's right. You know what? You know what this you know what I'm glad I'm glad I'm glad I read this book because it led me because it led us to have a conversation in the note doc over time um about sandwiches. So on page one fifty eight Cyrus says, I haven't had a single sandwich. And he's really happy because they have like shitty ham and cheese sandwiches in like the green room for the fighters. Again, Ooh. fucking bizarre world building. Um, <laughs> like, I would never build a fantasy world that just felt like a shitty cafeteria at my job. Like, I just, I don't know why you would do that. Welcome to my fantasy world, the backstage of a shitty club <laughs> venue. <laughs> it yep. does have catering. It's a plus, right? That Your true fantasy, food supply to the bands. I have only gotten 
Mm, yeah, I've only gotten catering once, and I had and I had to like eat it behind the bar because they didn't want anyone know that. <laughs> Want to know that the bands had food because I didn't want people asking for food, so I had to crouch behind the bar and eat a fucking Caprizi sandwich in secret. It's like hiding behind like a gremlin, just like don't know yeah. this is my sandwich. Don't ask about it. Don't tell. I you didn't see this. God, I I'm, am I'm some kind of gremlin, aren't I? I have gremlin tendencies. It's, it's kind of concerning. Uh, anyway, yeah, the, the pitfalls of being a fucking musician. Um, sometimes <laughs> at Sammy's Patio, I get a pizza ordered for me, so thank oh. you, Dante. You're actually pretty cool for that. Oh, that's nice. I want a fucking pizza. Um, anyway, in the book, the main character is excited because there is the prospect of having sandwiches, and he's like, well, the entire time I've been here, I don't know how many days or weeks, I haven't had a sandwich. But yet, he has had many a breakfast burrito. So, I pose the mm. question, is a burrito a sandwich? And Because to me, it feels very sandwich-like. And Chris left me a note that said, no, a burrito is a calzone. See, cuberule.com. <laughs> and I had never looked at cuberule.com, but it is, it is an incredible guide to what is and is not different types of meals, let's say. Uh, so... As much as I, I like the system and it claims a burrito is a calzone, I still feel like the soul of both a burrito and a calzone is a sandwich. It's still got the soul of a sandwich to me. I, but uh, Yeah, I mean, it, it, a sandwich is like, you know, you put a bunch of things between some carbs, right? Like that's... Yeah, yeah. When we basically. get down to it, that's what's happening with a sandwich. And the cube right. rule is attempted to classify things based on the number of sides enclosed by carb. <laughs> essentially yes. which you know what actually is a much more well thought out and clear yeah. system than anything in this book and it's a website <laughs> so. yeah i i agree it actually is is pretty thought out even though some of their definitions i'm like i don't know but you have a schematic and i will follow it so. I, I believe at one point it posits that certain kinds of pies are sushi because the carb is underneath, and if it's like an like if it's, if it's a kind of a pie that doesn't have like a lattice-ing or yeah. a pastry on the top, it counts as a sushi because the carb is below, and right? The other stuff is on top of it. I still think it's a really solid system, like you said. I mean, it's just about the positioning and number of of sides enveloped by carb, you know. And I I think it works. Cube CubeRule dot com. Go there. Enjoy I mean, you it. do end up with weird things like where anything that is not enclosed. In any kind of carb is a salad, and therefore a steak is a salad. <laughs> well, it, it's a salad in terms of like sh these are these are definitions of structure, not of content, yes. which is which is the thing you have to keep in mind. But <laughs> I think it's again, pretty solid. More clear and c consistent than anything in this book. Yeah. Spe speaking of clear and consistent, um, right at the end, Cyrus is finally, like, Alex tells Cyrus, hey, by the way, there's a whole ass library over there with, like, history books. And, because Cyrus is like, you know, I really want to understand, like, what's going on, what's the structure of things, and Alex is like, oh, go to the library, check out a history book. So, Cyrus goes to the library, and the, the first book he starts reading is about kickboxing. <laughs> When he specifically goes to the library with the intent of finding a history book, like, I don't, I don't understand. Why would you walk in and be like, oh, it's really important for me to understand what's going on. I really need to find a history book. And then just be like, nah, kickboxing, though. 
Mind you, this is when he's like trying to figure out what's going on because he's worried that Aster is going to kill him. I, it, to me, it's like, it, not, that does not make sense. If you are desperately looking for information to help you not die, why would you then get distracted by a kickboxing book? <laughs> I guess the kickboxing might help you not die if you're ambushed. He's just resorting to, well, I'll punch him better, and that'll solve all my problems. Even though, just before that section, he, he has a little thought-out thing where he's like, well, even if I did try to leave, then Aster would be able to find me, and I really wouldn't escape anything just by beating him in the tournament. But then he goes straight for the kickboxing thing to do better in the tournament. So, yeah. Yeah, I. but again, again, like he specifically says he wants to go and understand what is going on in Catharos and history, and then he just bypasses that immediately. It just, at a really critical time, I just, I just don't understand. Uh, next, next point, uh, right towards the end, we have someone who gets arrested for treason and conspiracy. We haven't established that there is any government here except a city guard, which kind of seems to just keep the general peace and break up fights. Like, what government am I, am I treasoning against? What government am I conspiring against? Like, I, I, I think, so, it mentions Aster is the most powerful person in Katharos, and he's the one in charge of the guards, so technically doesn't that just make Aster king? Well, right? Well, I mean, But he doesn't guess... do anything with that except just kind of like generically be part of the city guard, and he keeps talking about wanting to fight against the Saviors of Light, which is some rival group that is never explained oh, in any yeah. way. I, I completely forgot about that. So Aster is in charge but he doesn't really legislate. There's no governing body that makes laws. Yeah. It's, again, it's just not explained well enough for it to be convincing. So if Aster is the king, wait, if Aster is the king, and he's really in charge of everything, what is he, why does Cyrus's like, well, you won't blow me up right here. Because then that would cause problems for you. So I'm going to walk away and you won't do anything about it because then I'll tell people uh, from this world where you go to school. Why wouldn't Aster just stay in Katharos forever if he's the king there and not bother going back to school and therefore that threat would be empty? Yeah, it seems like a real, real like soft fart of a threat to me. It's just not, again, not convincing. Why would this be scary? And also, the entire rest of the book, Cyrus has said that he hasn't figured out how to go back to Earth. But at the end, he's like, we're going home. And like, how did you just suddenly He just it says, that, oh, yeah, now I know how to do it. And we're going home. And that's it. But how and why? And then he talks about, like, at the end, like, he loses to Aster in the tournament. And he's like, ah, that's part of my plan to get Aster close enough to get into a fist fight with him. When you've already been close enough to him to fist fight him before. Yeah, I, so... I guess at this point, he just wanted to kind of prove that he he and his Moke Pon were like strong enough to face him so that people would kind of back his uh, coup, I guess. 
Not not that it's even a coup. He just yeah. kind of wants to get away, but I mean it's like I, it's like I a mean, schoolyard level fight of a coup, right? Like yes, when one really fifth is. grader finally shoves over the bigger bully. Correct. So everyone <laughs> Yes, that is what has happened here. So <sighs> Ultimately Paris, like it's just a mess, right? Like it's just a sloppy mess where Everything is all over the floor. I've been trying to mop up all these concepts and put them into a nice bucket, but they just keep overflowing all over again <laughs> into a just a gray groundwater bland mess that you probably shouldn't go anywhere near. Well, here's the thing. All right. All right. So do we want to move to can we fix it? Do we have any other points to get to? I don't have anything else to talk okay. about at this point. <sighs> all right. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll let you, Chris, what do you, what do you think could be done to fix this? This is a rough draft at best, and you really need to go back to the drawing board and really outline some strict rules for your world and how certain things were supposed to be. You don't necessarily have to even explain those rules to the reader, but it doesn't even feel like the author knows what the rules are in the moment. It's not like it doesn't feel like any of that is planned out at all. And you really got to know what those are before you start setting up a fantasy story like this so that you can clearly tell me what is necessary for me to know, are they in any actual danger outside of the arena versus inside the arena? Uh, who's in charge of this world? How long has it been here? Does it have a history at all? Or is it just like a haphazard bunch of people coming in and out of here? Even if you want it to be like totally random, at least have an explanation for like, oh, well, we never really built a solid government over here because everyone's phasing in and out all the time between the real world and this world. Or maybe even, like, some kind of thing where, like, oh, it's an anarchist commune because yeah, right. everyone that comes here doesn't want to deal with the rules of the real world. But, like, so give me something to just box me in a little bit so I know when I should be worried about something or when something has any stakes or not. I don't have that at all in any of this. Yeah. I think the, I, I agree with you. I think the only thing I would disagree with is that I think he definitely does need to or they i'm not sure what the author's uh deal is here but um the author definitely needs to explain to the reader how things work because <laughs> right now there's no explanation and i agree with you i think he doesn't even know or they don't even know how it works so <clears throat> for me I, yeah this is this is a draft this is a fine first draft of kind of a long story <laughs> i i don't feel like this is a this is really a book because it's just kind of a, it's a really simple story. It's not very long. I, I don't know that this qualifies as a book. I guess it might for like younger readers because it's, it's real shallow also. It, it really, it could be a book. I think it, it could have the potential to be a book if more work was put into it and more detail given to important things and less detail given two less important things you know like the whole logging versus villain motivations discussion we had earlier i i think it really kind of needs to be thought out again uh like chris suggested kind of you need to step back and do another outline because right now it just kind of feels like a play-by-play -play of pokemon or any other game like that and i don't i and i know that this isn't quite my my genre but I still don't even know why this would be interesting to someone who is into that. I mean, if you're just in kind of a a very slightly different world with very slightly differently named Pokemon, I 
what is this bringing to any? What is this giving to the world? What is this bringing to entertainment or to literature or anything? I, nothing. I don't think it's really. I'm not really... seeing anything super fresh and interesting here. And like a new game mechanic with the emblems and like the sharing energy between people and their synthiers, that's not really interesting. Like they, at best, like I said, that's more of like a cool new game mechanic. I think maybe the fundamental disconnect here is not understanding what is fun about a video game versus what is fun about reading in a book. Yeah, I agree. I think there's some confusion here. Like video games and books are very different um would you read a dark souls book that was just someone describing their run through of Anne orlando oh god no but you and know then I the have... archer shot me oh, off the fucking ledge fuck. again <laughs> and then i chased after a crystal lizard and fucking died because it went into a weird place and then i did it 50 times because i really wanted a fucking crystal lizard i mean i i've actually always dreamed about someone writing a legit dark souls series with the lore because let me tell you folks even if you don't like video games the fucking lore of the souls born universe is so fascinating and cool and original to me i love it love it um and i love that it's not i love that it kind of leaves you hanging leaves you wanting more it's so good anyway i have dreamed of like a someone you know taking that and writing a whole series i think that would be fabulous but no, I would not read. <laughs> I would not read like what was that Super Mario play-by-play book we read? Brick by brick. Yeah, I would not read that even if it was about Dark Souls. Just wouldn't do it. Nope, it's not interesting. I, I, I don't. That's a you know what, Chris? That's a great comparison. <sighs> so anyway, look, I don't want to. You know, I'm not telling this author that you know they're like hopeless or something. I they just really need to do this again. <laughs> I mean, this is a rough draft. This isn't something. If you ask me, this isn't really something that should have been put out into the world quite yet. I mean, I don't really see why. I don't think it was ready for publishing. Um, and I get that people write, you know, sometimes people write just to kind of get things out and make themselves feel better. But it doesn't mean you have to publish it Yeah. <laughs> for, you know, and charge people money for it. I mean, I know I obviously got it for free from a little free library, but it is for sale for money on on the Internet, I believe. So, you know, it's a little... A little specious there. I I just think this needs to be rethought. You know, take take it down and rethink it. You know, think about fleshing out Cyrus as much as you give give Cyrus as much as Cyrus and Aster and Alex as much character as you gave Cyrus. You know, come up with Umbria, a, You mean? Um. Yeah. As sorry as Umbria, Sorry. Ugh, yes. Give the other characters as much kind of flair as you did Umbria. Come up, you know, give a, a more compelling backstory for the abusive home life that Cyrus is suffering through. Come up with a better backstory and like actual mechanics for how the fighting and magic works um, in the in you know Catharos. And I really just need also more on Catharos. It needs to be less of like this is the stage of uh, Super Smash Brothers that we're on right now, <laughs> um, and more <laughs> of. An Final actual, destination, no items. Yeah, more of like an actual world. Uh, the world building is is really something that brings this book down a lot too. Yeah, it just it just it needs it needs another look. It needs another look. Um, it's I'm, messy. I'm gonna keep using that word. It's just messy. Yeah, and uh, I also think the writing is is kind of is mostly pretty lifeless. Uh, you know the the mechanical 
fighting was okay, and Umbria was okay, but everything else was kind of like the. So, yeah, it ju- it just needs a redo. Try again, I guess is is kind of the ultimate advice mm-hmm. I would have is get other get some more eyes on it, you know, from people who aren't your family or friends or something, or you know, you you need some other people to take a look at this thing, and you need some uh, <clears throat> people to read it, give you their opinions. I I just think it needs. Yeah, needs a redo. Um, would not recommend it in its current state. Yeah. So. Okay, Paris. Well, thus brings our Odyssey in Catharos to an end. <laughs> I don't know how we got out of there. We just kind of, we kind of just stumbled out of there at will, like you know, Press- much like in the story. I, I love how we can never pronounce fantasy names the same. Like, whatever pronunciation I choose, you always choose to stress a different syllable. It fucking kills me every single time. Oh. I mean, I like my way. Katharos. Katharos. Damn it. Katharos. 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 The Dr. Seuss dimension. Everything rhymes all the time. Everyone's bouncing around. Weird colors. Oh, that actually. Yeah, Dr. Seuss World. I mean, imagine if you just fucking woke up in like Whoville. That'd be terrifying. Yeah, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> Absolutely fucking terrifying. Uh, all right. Well, it's a new year. I hope y'all are having a great start to yours. Um, it's, it's Paris from the past, so I actually can't tell you how my 2022 is going yet because I haven't happened. experienced it yet. It hasn't happened. Uh, so, you know what? Good luck to me in the future. I hope 2022. There you go. Yeah, a little positivity here. I hope, uh, hope January 2022. 20, 20, yeah, 2022. I'm not going to say that correctly. Um, January 222. Two, two, two. I, I call it the 2D2s. <laughs> That's my, that one, what I'm going to call the year. <laughs> It's we're we're entering the two D twos. Yeah, we're in the two D twos. Uh, that actually kind of sounds sort of similar to the like a silly version of the Norwegian way to say. Uh, anyway, uh, I don't know where I was going with this. I was just trying to tell everyone to have a good New Year and yeah. um to you know keep working on their creative projects, keep working on yourself, taking care of yourselves, and uh. You know, moving into this the second full year of a pandemic, it's real it's real great. Uh we're about almost there. It's kind of mm-hmm. miserable, but but please keep your keep your little heads up and uh you know, just just think about think about it. Things could and be thank worse. You, you, thank you, you could for have supporting a par- us. could have a Paris gremlin. That would be yeah. worse. Yeah, it would. <laughs> the Chris Gremlin's even worse. He's just always asking you for lemonade and sour candy. Pain in the ass, really. Also, you can't see, so he's bumping into things all the time, falling off cables, hitting the corner. Oh my god, Chris. Just like a tiny blind asshole that's always looking for sour things. Uh, sour things are pork. That's yeah. it. <laughs> I really only like pork in my ramen, to be honest with you. Ugh, anyway. Uh, so why don't we yeah. thank the patrons who have supported us through a, another uh, year here. Yeah, and who have sat through this this episode. Thank you. Thank you, glorious, fantastic patrons. Thank you, Dari, Greg, Veronica, Will, D, Jared, Lynn, Senia, Yakub, Bobby Blackcat, Lycoris, Elliot, Kieran, Martin, Jay, Scott, Luchek, CTAP1, Miri, Yanka, David, Julius, Anya, Anonymous, Patricia, Austin, Donnie, Crimson Paladin, Laxotes, and Callum. 
Thank you. All right. Thanks, friends. Uh, really appreciate your support as we move into this new year. Uh, we've got a real, real, uh, real fun one for next episode. Uh, really, really just coming out of the new year, just, just blazing. Ooh, it with hurts my heart just books. thinking about it. I feel like all backed up with um, refuting juice. There's, <laughs> there's so much like in me. Yeah, it's yeah. The next next episode is going to be going to be interesting. Uh, anyway. If you uh, if you want to help support the show, please subscribe and watch the YouTube. Go to the YouTube's. Go to the YouTube's. Click the subscribes. Leave the comments, likes of videos. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. Can you tell I really need to pee? And it's the very end of the episode. <laughs> Paris, how about you go do that, and I'll take us out with the rest of this here. Yeah, yeah. How about you? How about you tell people how how uh, they can support the show? Okay. Um. So early goodbye from Paris here. Well, I tell us all how you can help the terrible book club out in this new year you can subscribe or watch on youtube leave a comment like a video um you can listen on spotify or any other of these pod distribution services there's pod beans there's pod racing there's uh, we've made that joke so many times already um if you don't want to do any of that you can always become a patron at patreon.com slash terrible book club or $1, $5, or $10 a month to access various kinds of fun content, most um, of most interest being the fact that you can tell us to read a book, and we are beholden to you to read that book. Um, we might be implementing some page count stuff um, pretty soon on that, so if we haven't yet, get in on it now before we uh, start <laughs> adding some limitations on page counts at certain tiers of donation. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Goodreads, if you're on those platforms. And you can also send us a message on any of those platforms or, you know, leave general commentary as you would. Or you could just send us an email at terriblebookclub at gmail.com. Um, and, of course, you could always leave a review um, on any platforms that allow you to read a review. You can scream and shout into the ether and record that and send it to us in an email if you would like. Um, any of those things would be fantastic so we can hear from you and what you think about the show so we can continue to improve it ourselves. All right, Paris, I just messed up that read through so many times. There's going to be so much editing on that, but I still, I still did it. This whole episode point, yeah. is a fucking minefield. I am so sorry. Uh, we did this to ourselves. At what point I told the listeners to email us at terriblebookclub.com at gmail.com. <laughs> You know, this was a cursed episode from the start. I, I mean, how We've many We've fallen into have? the realm of more powerful uh, cursing on Terrible Book Club. Terrible is upping his game for season seven. Oh, God. Upping oh, his man. game. He's going with, with the technical seven. attacks this time. Before, it's always been like book-based attacks. Now he's going with like, I'm going to fuck up your gear and your brain so you can't say shit right. Yeah, he's really, really going full throttle. Like, I don't know. Have we, we displeased have to... him? Maybe, maybe, maybe this first, maybe we just haven't been reading books that are terrible enough. You know what? I think next episode's going to fix that, though. True. All right, Paris. Well, until then, <laughs> see you in the other Pokemon Mokepon realms or not. I'll, I'll just leave. I'm just going to leave, actually. Goodbye. Bye.